this week we're going into possibly one of the harder sermon series that I've ever had to prepare for, which is the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and uh, we're calling this sermon series The Meaning of Life. That's what, what Solomon is dealing with here. And so before we get into that, I want to answer just the question of why we would go into Ecclesiastes. And it's, it's kind of a bigger question than just, than just why Ecclesiastes. It's kind of a, a why would we teach from the Old Testament or why would we go around the scripture because um, why wouldn't we just kind of settle where we're comfortable, right? Like why don't we just preach John 3.16 every week? <laughs> and every week we're like, I like that. I just want to stay there. Well, the reason is, is that we, we want to be faithful to the full wisdom of Scripture and, and what, what God is, is showing us, not just in the revelation of Jesus, but throughout all of history. Um, and, and we as pastors don't want to just preach what our strengths are and what we're comfortable with, but we need to keep being challenged. Um, so we need to be challenged to go into Ecclesiastes and say, God, what are you showing us and continuing to show us as the people of God in that? And so, um, so throughout the year, we don't just preach in the New Testament, we, we preach in the Old Testament, um, because it's all the Word of God, and, and we see God showing himself throughout it all. So hold on to that while we get into Ecclesiastes, because <laughs> Ecclesiastes is a very, very challenging book. Ecclesiastes, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, and, and chapter 1 kind of forms an introduction to the whole book. And we start by getting introduced to the author of it. So if, if you have Ecclesiastes 1, just verse 1 reads like this. It says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So, so the guy writing this book is, is a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon was king. He wasn't just a king. He was the wealthiest, most powerful king of Israel of all time. He was, he just had tremendous favor, and, and people came from all over the world to learn from him because he was just really smart, right? There's a story about this queen of Sheba, who's like a big deal, coming just to visit him, and like people just wanted to be in his presence to hear from him. And so he wrote a couple books before the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, one being a book called Song of Solomon, and another book called Proverbs. Okay, and it's important that we, we look at those really quick before this, because, um, because you get kind of a different Solomon in those books. So Ecclesiastes is wedged in between the two. If you, if you look after Ecclesiastes, is the book of Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon literally, Jewish boys weren't allowed to read this book until they reached a certain age. This is like, like, you think the Bible's tame. I blush still reading Song of Solomon. Because you get into it, and you're like, it just starts like, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine, pleasing is the fragrance of, yeah... Right, and you're like, okay, <laughs> like I'm gonna stand back here and read it. So you guys, like, that's Song of Solomon, right? You go, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are, doves. You're like, why, why publish that? Because <laughs> I don't want to read that. There, there's this Song of Solomon is this incredible book of of love that that you get in the scripture, and so. 
So we, we have what we describe Solomon as in Song of Solomon is, uh, is a, a lover, right? That's, that's how he presents himself here. And then you get in Proverbs, and what he presents himself as in Proverbs is uh, the figure of a parent. And so you see someone kind of growing up. Right? You see a, a king who uh, is, is young and in love, and he writes the Song of Solomon, and it's in the Bible because... Because it's this beautiful love story, and, and God created love. God is love, right? And so we see God delighting in that. And then you get to Proverbs, and if you, if you start in, in chapter 2, um, you kind of get the, the sense here of, of uh, him speaking as a parent. He says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turn your ears to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so in the, in the book of Proverbs, you have a father who is, is writing to instruct his children, namely his, his son here, that if you call out to God and ask for wisdom... That, that God will give you wisdom. If you search for the fear of the Lord, then that, that fear of the Lord will guide you in the right way. And, and so you move from, from lover to, to uh, father here. And then Ecclesiastes, you get teacher. Right? The words of the teacher, the son of David King in Jerusalem. And so what I want you to imagine here is, is the word teacher here literally comes from the word uh, in the Septuagint. It was the first time the word um, Ecclesiastes was used. And it's like um, the word for church or gathering or assembly. And so, so here you have the person who is up front, the teacher, who has, has come to a gathered classroom to present wisdom. And, and you also get here the words of an, an older person. You can tell they've moved from, Solomon's moved from, from young, passionate Solomon, writing Song of Solomon, to, to Proverbs where he's a father. And now he's this old man who's experienced a lot of life. And, and I want you to imagine like this, this, this older gentleman who's a teacher, and this being his, his last lecture that he's, he's coming to offer a classroom that's packed with people who have, have followed his words so far and they've seen his wisdom. And so they've, they've read Song of, Song, Song of Solomon and they've, they've giggled and been amazed how God is about love. And then they've read Proverbs and they've appreciated how when they cry out to God that God will lead them in the right way. And so they're, they're waiting here for Solomon to speak again. What will he say in this lecture on the meaning of life? Right? This man who's given us so much wisdom so far, what will he say when he speaks on the meaning of all things? And so, so they sit down and they wait and he approaches the lectern and he starts his lecture and he says, Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
So everyone here who doesn't have their Bibles right now are like, I, I don't think he's reading it right. Like, that's literally the way he starts his lecture. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. We're going to read through to verse 11. It says, What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything, anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So what is Solomon doing here? Why would this man who has experienced so much of life and so much good in life come with such a, a gloomy outlook? And I believe it's this. I believe that, that Solomon, who has lived a lot and known a lot, and not lived always according to what he has known. I think he is providing a profound argument here by, by taking on the voice of someone who lives as if, as if earth is all there is and there is no heaven. And, and so twice in here, he deals with two things. One is he's dealing with, with nature around him, the natural world and everything in it, and, and the cycle he sees, just a repetition of seasons. Season comes and season goes. The wind comes, the wind goes. The, the river keeps running, but it never fills the sea. And, then, and, and yet, in that, he goes, that is all that's happening underneath the sun. And then he looks, again, the next time he uses that, he's referring to the life of humanity. Right? What it looks like for people to... It says, all things are wearisome. Our eyes never see enough. Everything that we do, that we we strive for, that we want to do new or special or unique, all those things we strive for, he's like, it's not new. And all that happens underneath the sun. So this view of underneath the sun is this view of, okay, imagine with me that there is no longer heaven. There's no longer divine revelation. There's no longer God intervening on the behalf of humanity. This, this is the meaningless life that, that Solomon is talking about here. Imagine with me this. And, and for us, it's not hard to imagine because we are familiar with things like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below it, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Ah, ah, ah. It's the Beatles. Imagine 
there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. So this view of if we only unite around the idea that there is no more heaven, that above us there is only sight, under the sun is all that there actually is. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Solomon is, is talking, the, the voice he is talking from. The voice of us when we go, you know, I'm just going to believe what I can see, touch, feel, just, just that's it. I'm just going to limit myself to here and now. And, and this is exactly what, what Solomon is addressing, this view that, that earth is all that exists. There's a, a view in, um, in philosophy called existentialism, and, and track with me as I talk about this, because it, it really helps us understand this. Um, because as Solomon describes why he is writing, he writes because he says, because I've seen the, the world, and I've seen that, that sometimes wicked people live longer than righteous people. I've seen people who have, who have done good things, and then all of a sudden, they're the ones that are struck down. I've seen someone who works hard, but they don't really get to see the fruit of their labor. Right? And he goes, when I see a world like that, how do I respond to that? And so, so he goes, well, let's imagine this. Let's imagine that this is all there is. The view of existentialism came and it really took root after, after World War I. So World War I was the war to end all wars. We are going to solve the problem of conflict by fighting. So millions of lives were given and they thought, this is, we are going to know, we're going to be smarter than this. And so World War I came and went. And as we know, Treaty of Versailles, there was still great oppression after that. And, and what happened was we went into this time of momentary success, right? And created this huge bubble of success. And then, and then what happened was then the Great Depression comes, right? Great Depression, where the world plummets into, well, we didn't solve the problem. And then from the Great Depression, then you enter into World War II. It wasn't the war to end all wars. And so, so this view in philosophy called existentialism takes root. And what that is, is that, that the individual, through their experience, essentially starts creating their own reality. Right? So it's, it, it's no longer what I, I hear from you or what I hear from God or anyone else. It's simply I'm going to start defining, and dis- defining who I am through what I do. A guy was uh, named Jean-Paul Sartre, French guy, uh, was really the, the mind behind a lot of this. And... And it's interesting because existentialism came to be because the idea was we need to declare freedom from every single thing, every single thing that would, that would wish to declare a law or authority over us. And, and as this worked its way out, there's three quotes I want to give you by Jean-Paul Sartre that help you understand this. The first is this. He says, man is condemned to be free. 
And so what they found was, as they started seeking more and more this freedom, that there's no longer divine revelation. There's no longer God who can speak into my life. He says this, that, that now we are condemned to our own freedom. Because of this, he says, because we have figured out everything except how to live. We have figured out everything except how to live. And so this is this view of everything under the sun is, is that I, everything I see, I, I, I realize that I'm free to engage with it. I'm free to look at a sunrise or eat a delicious meal or build relationships with people around me. But if everything under the sun, if I'm free to do whatever I want, all of a sudden I don't, I don't even know what I want. And everything that I pursue that I've wanted so badly, I realize that those, those things that I'm pursuing didn't satisfy. And so it led, existentialism led to, to this, this great atheism of, of we just no longer consider the opinion of God at all. And this is, last quote by Jean-Paul Sartre, he says, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. So this idea of, right, we are, he goes, I'm denying the existence of God, but my whole being cries out for someone or something that would show me how to live. Who will show me how to live? Who will show me what is valuable? Because because this mind doesn't, can't figure out what's valuable, right? When When I go out and make decisions in my relationship with other people, sometimes I'm just a jerk, and that was my value claim, right? Because I treated them as if they were valueless, and I'm free to do that, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm like, and I start stomping on people or making decisions that are hurting me and others, and I'm like, I just don't know how to do this thing called life. And, and that is exactly what Solomon's talking about here, is that we, we just say, okay, all that exists is what I see under the sun, that's all that happens. No longer does God have any say in what goes on, and life becomes something that is quickly losing its meaning. The amazing thing about Solomon and what makes it hard to read Ecclesiastes is that Solomon is a good teacher. And what I mean by that is Solomon doesn't sweep in and go, let me give you all the answers. He sits with his class through this. He goes, let's walk through this. You know, if you've ever been suffering and, and, and someone sits down, they just throw out an answer, like, oh, sin's crap, right? And you're like, that doesn't help me at all. But I, I, still, I don't know how to process what's going on with me. And so what Solomon does is he doesn't just throw out an answer. We have to wait till chapter 12, Right? Because what he does is he, he's going through one class at a time, just, just sitting with people, processing what life looks like when, when there is no one to call the shots at all. There's no one to say, yes, this is good, and yes, this is evil, to affirm that when people get shot in France, that that is bad. Right? Because, because who, who decides? And so Solomon just kind of sits with people. And, 
And he uses the word meaningless, and, and the word meaningless means several things to him throughout it. Literally, what it means is this idea of, of breath or vapor. And that's, that's the, the first meaning of life is fleeting. And so this is what he does when he sits with him. He goes, yes, life is short. But isn't it amazing that even though we know life is short, we don't know how to treat every moment as valuable? I, I could give a whole sermon on, like, carpe diem, seize the day. And, and you'd go out, and maybe for an afternoon, you'd give all your energy to living well. And, and you, you would forget that, that life is short. And so that's the first thing he means. Yes, life is fleeting. Life is short. The second thing he means is, is that life is, is futile, if there's no divine revelation. What he means is that we have brilliant moments of wonder and awe. Like when you read that, that the sun goes up and sets and the sun goes up and sets, we have these moments where maybe one day in a month we're like, that sunset is ridiculously gorgeous. And like we know how to appreciate it for a moment. But again, that moment is fleeting. We don't, we don't know how to capture the meaning in those things. And since we don't know how to appreciate the meaning, and if the meaning is in us, it is futile. Because our appreciation of meaning comes and goes very quickly, right? And the third thing is this. He means that it's incomprehensible, which means that there is just way more to be known than you'll ever know. <laughs> he means that, that, there, that, that how rivers keep going to the sea and the sea never gets filled up, right? How the sun keeps rising and setting and, and yet it doesn't depend upon us at all, Right? We just get to enjoy it for our short life. He's like, yeah, those things, there's some, there's some mystery there. Right? It's incomprehensible to us. So I, I'm not going to leave you there. Don't worry. Um, how do we move from meaningless to meaningful um, while staying in this first chapter? Well, the first thing I want to ask is just what, what, does, what makes life meaningful? What makes life meaningful? And I kind of want to address why people are so attracted by existentialism or why they're so attracted by, like, I decide what's right and wrong. And it's this, is that I think most of us, most of us think what is meaningful in life is the fulfillment of, of personal dreams and desires. So, so if my life goes on uninterrupted and everything that I kind of wish would be true is true, then the meaning will somehow just keep growing. <laughs> I thought about this this week because um, have you ever uh, had some, seen someone lose their phone? And they're like, and this is what they say, my life was in that! <laughs> have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I... So, <laughs> I remember I like swore at one point never to get a smartphone. I was like, I'm way above that. And then I got a smartphone. And this week I lost it. I like set it on something in the garage and it fell into my snowboard boot. How would you ever find that? Thankfully they have these like tracker things. So I got out my iPad, of course. <laughs> and pushed the the make my phone beep button. And, uh, and I found it. 
But of course, before that happened, I, I just didn't know where it was. And so I was going to meet JD for a run on Friday morning, and I was like, well, what if you called and you couldn't run? And what if I get there and then we are at the wrong place? And then, you know, and I'm like, can I on my phone? <laughs> Don't worry, it worked out. I made it there and we ran. Um, <laughs> I know you were very concerned about that. And then I came. <laughs> but those, that, is, that is the thing, right? I, I do. I feel super ridiculous. I'm, I'm being vulnerable with you. But that is, when we are like, when our life gets interrupted and all of a sudden we realize that, that we were centered on something, that when it causes stress or anxiety for us, we're like, oh my goodness, why was that so important to me? Why was that so meaningful to me? I was like so wrapped up in that. And when it went wrong, I thought, well, there's no God I don't know where my phone is, right? Like, but that is insignificant. But think of it as something that is far more significant. Something does happen in your life that you, you lose someone you love. Your life is interrupted. Your plans don't go the way they are meant to go. And your response is, this is all there is. There's no God. You see our our reasoning. You see what we center around. And you see what Solomon's addressing in this. How do we move from meaningless to meaningful is is make what is meaningful most meaningful to you. In the book of John, we see Jesus introduced. And it says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it. Okay? So in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus comes to earth as the light of the earth. He invades earth with his glory. But what does it say here? It says that the light shines in the darkness, but what the darkness, it doesn't understand it. It's not, and this is is why. Because it's not meaningful to us. We don't want Jesus. What do we want? I want my phone. What, What? what do you want? You, you want what you are so wrapped around. And so Jesus just walks right by. And then, and then that's where we get to Ecclesiastes. We're like, and the sun comes up and goes down another day. And I didn't get what I wanted another day. <laughs> right? I'm just going to be another person that's forgotten on the earth. Yes, if if what is most important to you is promoting yourself and what you want, if that is what is most meaningful to you, you will always be in the satisfying place that, that Solomon is talking about here. But there, there is a more satisfying way. Um, in the book of Romans, it has a really a cool comparison to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. 
In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, this is what Paul writes. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Okay, and I'm just going to stop there because if I keep reading, I don't want you to like lose track of where we're at. It starts by saying, we consider our present sufferings what is your present suffering? Whatever that is, whatever you've put so much meaning in, and I'm not saying it's meaningless, but I'm saying it's meaningful because of God creating you that way, right? Like, like for me to lose my phone is trite. It's okay that I want to find it, though. It's okay that I want to call JD and make sure that we're going to run together. It's okay that you grieve over a lost one, loved one that you, you, you loved. But, but what he's saying here is, is that can't be, that should not be the center of your world. If that's the center of your world, you will be that person that all of a sudden all you see is life under the sun. That's, that's it. If that's, if that's the beginning and end of your life, that will be the beginning and end of your life. But, but don't let it be, because he says it doesn't need to be, because your present sufferings can be not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Because, because is life fleeting? Yes. Life is, your life is short. Given 20 years, given 100 years, your life is short. But it, it can have great meaning. It says, because the creation itself, and listen to this, is Ecclesiastes drew the comparison between what the, the natural world, right, the wind going and coming and, and uh, the sea, the ocean. And then, and then our, our personal life is humanity. It talks about it here. It says that creation, the, the rivers going to the sea, the wind blowing around, is groaning and waiting for its release. And so, so creation was made with meaning. And, and it, it says here that it understands that to some extent. Right, the, the, the world that you see, and you're like, this is gorgeous. It, it is. Because it was given that, and yet now it's subjected to frustration. And what it's waiting for, and what we are waiting for, is it says, the release of the uh, 23, it says, not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruit of the spirits groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly our adoption as son, the redemption of our bodies. You aren't just, you aren't just a, a human being who will be forgotten. Sure, you know what you do on this earth maybe won't be remembered by the billions of people that will will be to come in years to come. But if your meaning is in this, what's being offered to you, which is far greater, 
far greater than anything that you can do for yourself. You can build a great kingdom, but that is not as good as the adoption of sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which isn't momentary. That's not just under the sun things. That's eternal things. Right? Things that won't pass away. Things that have value and meaning beyond this life. And, and all of a sudden, our view starts raising up and we start seeing something that is worth giving our lives for. And, and you know, I thought about that as I was reading the John Lennon, uh, John Lennon song because he says this. He says, nothing to kill or die for. Well, well, here, this is something we're dying for, right? Whether I die by natural causes or unnatural causes. Like, like it's something worth saying, like, this present suffering isn't worth comparing to me being an adopted child of God. So hold to that. So, so how do we approach the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes? Because from now on in Ecclesiastes... We're going to be looking at different parts of life. As, as Solomon, he's, he's going to talk about pleasure and the pursuit of all those things that we go after. Um, he's going to talk about work. He's going to talk about relationships. He's going to talk about suffering. He's also going to talk about aging and death. All these things that do happen under the sun, but how do we, how do we approach those things? And what I want to start us with is this. Are you centered around what is meaningful? Just ask yourself that question. And if you are, it's this foundation that won't be shaken um, by those who are like, don't you realize this is a waste because you only maybe get 80 years? And then you can share, no, because I believe we were created for far more than that. And the creation itself groans with anticipation for the release of the sons and daughters of God. And man, I pray that we live this out as a church. Because I, I need to be reminded by you guys to live for this. Like, I need you to remind me on a daily basis when I forget that life is fleeting, but I, I can live for more. I, I need you guys. I need this to be the conversation when I walk with you or when we talk. That, that this is what we remind ourselves of. And encourage each other. And do, do you know your adoption as a child of God? Do you, do you know that? What does that mean? And maybe it's not just saying, do you know that, right? Like, you should know better. But it's like, like I'm actually like, we're figuring out what that means together. Because I don't know what that fully means yet. Like, I have so much more to experience in that. As I'm, as I'm enjoying life with you guys. I'm eating meals or we're going mountain biking. Which we will soon. So this is the things we can do together. We can suffer together, reminding each other that this is not all there is. It's not just life under the sun. But God has created so much more than that. And so let's do that as a church. Let's wrap our lives around what's most meaningful and remind each other about what's most meaningful. And so that's what we're going to do as we worship and as we take communion. And I, I hope as we take communion, every week you guys remember how special that is that as we dip the bread in the juice, that we remember the night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus, the light that came into the world, that that's what we remember when we dip the bread in the juice and we, and we receive it. We do that in remembrance of him. Remember him, love him, 
focus your whole life on him, and you will be satisfied. So pray with me, and we'll worship together. God, in Romans, it just says that, that it's your spirit in us that groans. Um, I think there's that spirit uh, that made John Paul Sartre say, I cry out for God, a God I don't even know. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know, um, maybe they just see life under the sun all there is, that they would appreciate the so much more that there is. And seeing that you created us to know you and enjoy you. God, if there's those here who are suffering, I pray that they'll find people willing to sit with them and listen to them and love them and and they will lift their eyes to see the glory that far outweighs even our suffering. God, seal this lesson in our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.